When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast available on all podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast or wherever you get your podcasts from so you don't miss a single episode. Hello, good morning and welcome to the Football Digest weekly podcast. It's nice to be back with you and joining um, us this week is Chris McKenna, um, Matt Dunn and Simon Muller. And we're going to look back upon Man City um, against Sevilla. Um, Man City now obviously being crowned Super Cup winners as well and Pep Guardiola clearly trying to take on the world as well. He's targeting the, um, suit, uh, the Club World Cup, isn't he, in, in December already. Transfer latest, the Premier League weekend preview and of course we're going to wish the Lionesses the very best of luck for the final on, on Sunday which is just um, absolutely fantastic. He's captured the whole imagination of of the nation, um, and as such, we we've, we've got a, our own their own special podcast going for that as well. So we're going to touch on that as well and how much we've enjoyed that. But let's kick off, Simon, shall we? About Man City and Sevilla last night. It was it was quite hard work at this stage of the season in the Athens heat as well, wasn't it? But basically, it got the job done, even if it took a missed penalty in the end. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was a tight game. Uh, Sevilla had their chances, scored a great goal. Um, and gave City quite a quite a stern test, really. Uh, last season, City beat them twice in the Champions League group stages, quite convincingly. And I think everybody expected the the same thing to happen. But they've got um, they've got quite a European pedigree, Sevilla, if not in the Champions League, certainly in the Europa League. And they uh, they put up some stern opposition. And like I say, they could have had they could have taken the game out of. Um, out of City's reach early in that second half before um, before City came up with uh, with an equaliser. So yeah, tight game, decided on penalties as it was in the uh, Community Shield. And this time, City got over the line rather than um, rather than coming coming second best. So Guardiola will take a lot of um, kudos from that because it, it is. I know we don't we look at the Community Shield and we look at the the uh, European Super Cup as kind of glorified friendlies. But if you, if you talk to players abroad, uh, foreign players that have come in, they take that they take it quite seriously. They take it a lot more seriously than than perhaps we do. And Guardiola, um, he's, he only had to listen to some of the players' uh, quotes last night after the game. Pep had actually emphasised to them how important it was to win that trophy because it, City's name had never been on it. They'd never appeared in that in that that occasion before. And Guardiola wanted to win it, and he wants to make history. And if we talk about is he still motivated after seven years at the club and winning everything in sight, I think the fact that he was disappointed by losing the Community Shield and delighted to win the European Super Cup suggests that he feels he's got um, he's still got unfinished business at the Etihad, which is quite a daunting prospect for the rest of the Premier League. Chris, did you did you uh, what did you take from it? Do you think the City are in a, in a stronger position from 
from where they were last season. Cole Palmer impressed, didn't he? But, uh, you, you know, so he's obviously an addition, sort of maybe pushing on a little bit more this season. But where, where do you think after the comings and goings, City are, are they weaker, stronger, better, more equipped? You'd have to say on on paper, they look a little bit weaker. Obviously, the emergence of Cole Palmer, who after the Community Shield, Guardiola wasn't that like committed on him being there for the whole season. He was asked about him maybe going out on loan and he didn't really commit. But he's going to do what he did last night. If he's going to do what he did against um, Arsenal in the Community Shield, then he, he, he seems to be a great asset to have there. Obviously, Gundogan lost massive, and Mares is a is a great option, even if he was used being used more and more from the bench. But they look on paper a little weaker on that side of the pitch. I suppose bringing in Gavardiol at the back that's that's a hell of a, a hell of a, a signing. That's kind of weirdly maybe gone under the radar a little. City have gone out and bought to be the best young centre back in the world for a huge fee. And there's more talk about the Declan Royces, the Caicedos as great signings. I think that's a fantastic signing. Like, and it's not just for this season, it's for five, six years. So they've strengthened at, the, at that end of the pitch. But you may be looking at, they're still missing maybe those Gundogan moments. He was such a, a man for the big goal at the right time. Somebody else is going to have to come up and fill that gap. But unfortunately for City, they only have like um, young Phil Foden, one of the great best young players in Europe to come in and get more game time. He, he barely played to, not barely played, but he didn't start a lot towards the end of last season. And we know how good he is. But And they're probably not finished in the transfer market because they're looking to get Paqueta from West Ham. If they get that done there, then you're looking at them going, well, they're as strong as ever. But at the minute on paper, front, they look a little weaker losing De Bruyne as well for, for a couple of months is a blow. But they have so much talent in reserve. Um, that you can't say that they're, they're going to be um, and anybody's going to be licking their lips thinking oh we, they're a bit vulnerable they're going to be as strong as ever I think this season yeah Paqueta uh, really surprised me Matt I mean you, you, you've seen a bit in West Ham and I don't know Pep obviously knows his onions doesn't he really gets it wrong but I've got, I've got to say you know I guess it sort of kind of ends up winning the European trophy last season but um I don't know, where, where do you stand in, in the debate? Does he strengthen City? Is City stronger, weaker? Do you think they're, they're, they're runaway favourites again this season to win the Prem? I think he, his arrival will take a bit of pressure off Grealish, who can afford then to have a bad game and then he'd still have some more creative talent alongside him. Um, De Bruyne is a big miss. Over the years, he's the one player City have never been quite the same when he's not in the team. Um, so, so that is a huge miss. And we're going to um, not there to make up the, the, the short ball. That that could be a hole. He's relying a lot on kids, but but they're really good kids. So you know, I feel he proved that you can win things with kids, and and I'm sure Pep's got you know when you when your kids are Phil Foden and yeah the, the likes of as it seems powers emerging, um you you still think well I have a little bit of faith in them. Um so yeah, I, I don't think they're as strong as they were last year, but then I don't think yeah with Arsenal's injury problems, I don't think anyone's there. To be best, you know, to challenge them as hard as they did last year. So, you know, it, unless something goes massively wrong at the Etihad this season, I think it stairs to win again. Yeah, yeah. Solomon, you you probably concur with that, wouldn't you? City, and no favourites. Yeah, but I think it, I think um, until they get another co- couple of players through the door, another player they're looking at is there, Jeremy Doku, who plays for Rennes, who's a really exciting young Belgian winger. 
who would probably come in to fill that role that's been vacated by the departure of Riyad Mahrez. Um, but yeah, I mean, going back to De Bruyne, I mean, they lost De Bruyne in 2018-19 season for a lot of that season and still ended up winning the title. So um, Pep has found a way before to kind of um, get around, the, you know, missing De Bruyne for, for very long periods. Chris is absolutely spot on. I think this has got to be the season where Bill Foden steps into a more central midfield position more regularly and tries to dictate games a bit like Kevin De Bruyne has done over the last seven, eight, nine years. Um, you know, De Bruyne is 32. He's got his injury problems. This hamstring issue has been a long-term thing that City tried to nurse him through last season. They thought that a, a, a summer break would would cure it. It hasn't. It's, it's even worse. He's going to need an operation to to solve the problem. So it's time really for Foden to step up. I mean, last year it looked I was, was it looked a really exciting prospect seeing Foden, De Bruyne, and Haaland just ahead of them. And I don't know if you remember that the Manchester derby when City put six past United, they were unplayable. Uh, and then Oden unfortunately picked up an injury and that kind of um, hampered the development of that that kind of partnership between those three players. But you would hope, and, and Foden himself has spoken about it, that he, feel, he feels now is the time for him to become a more central operator um, and dictate games a lot more than he can if he's playing out wide. So, um, you know, a big blow to lose De Bruyne, of course it is, but opens the door for, to, for Phil Foden to maybe step up his own development, which seems crazy to say when you think the guy has got five Premier League medals. Um, you know, this is the next stage of his development. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see whether City get the players they want through the door before the transfer window closes. And I think if they do, it will be a slightly new Manchester City. Chris again mentioned Guardiola, centre-back, who played left-back left, left back last night. So. Um, you know, in typical pet fashion, he, he does the, the most unexpected things. So it could be quite an interesting season. I've just got a feeling with the improvements that other teams have made, it will be um, a lot tighter in terms of the number of teams that will hopefully have um, designs on winning the Premier League going into the final few months of the season. Yeah. Did, did you concur with that, Chris, that basically it will be a tighter title race? Tell me, tell I mean... You've seen it in the past where you think, oh, this this time it been built out, there's four teams in it. And you look at last weekend and you say, right, well, maybe, yeah, Chelsea and the signings they've made, they have to be now title contenders, I think. I think that pressure has totally switched on Pochettino. I was on the podcast last week and I kind of spoke more that maybe they, they'll give them time and at least a couple of years. I think that's changed now. They've gone out and sport, which I know we're going to talk about, Caicedo and Lavier and it's, that's changed so they have to be Manchester United have spent big again um, even within some sort of restrictions that they supposedly have they still spent big Liverpool need to get the defensive midfielder in um, then 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 you're looking at them but I still I just can't see past City this season again um, I, I, like, I don't buy into this that they, they might drop off because they've won the treble because there's still stuff there for Guardiola to to want to do to win four in a row in the Premier League, Man United never did that. Even in their in their pump, um, that's another thing City can break. They'll be so motivated to do that. 
Guardiola wants to to leave this huge legacy that they've smashed everything and uh, has come before them, and I think that they'll go again. Um, and I and I, I would it be as tight? It's hard to tell, but I doubt it. I think City will run away with it again. Yeah, Matt, Matt, do you see anyone sort of kind of pushing them tight like Arsenal did last season? The only thing I can see doing it, and they need to get their act together very quickly, is Chelsea. It's like Chris says, those the signings that they're making at the moment turn them from a team being turned around into a team that are effectively trying to buy the title again. And uh, the owners would expect with that sort of outlay for them to challenge right away. The only thing is they've got to get the results early on when they're in this difficult transition period to make sure that they're in the hunt comes sort of October time and can then really start to find their best 11, find their best form and put on a proper challenge. But yeah, Arsenal, they need to perform above themselves again for the second season in a row to stay in there. I think Liverpool are a little bit short in the transfer market. Spurs are out of the equation completely. Haven't lost Harry Kane. Um, and yeah, Newcastle again, not quite there ready for a title challenge. They need to cement their Champions League form. And you saw Manchester United. I don't know if they're quite quite good enough. They could perhaps uh, be another one who, who might feel they can challenge. But I don't think it's perhaps still a season too early for them. So all in all, you know, if City do what they can do, then no one can touch them. I was at Newcastle last week and I kind of didn't really consider Newcastle before the season started as being title contenders because they've got Champions League football to contend with. But um, they were absolutely fantastic against Villa last week and Villa for an hour played quite well themselves and then were just blown away. And it was the changes that Eddie Howe made off the bench that kind of really took the game away from Villa in the in the last half hour. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Newcastle improve upon that fourth place finish this season. You know, I know it's only the only only the opening weekend of the season, but Liverpool look completely unbalanced. Um, and obviously, you know, Klopp has not got the players that he wanted in through the door. You know, they're now looking at um, Endo, um, who is, you know, he will come with a, a, you know, he's got a, a decent reputation in Japan, but he's been played at the bottom of the Bundesliga with Stuttgart. And, he, you know, clearly he's just a sticking plaster to try and get Liverpool through the season because, you know, defensively, they were kind of, um, and I'm talking about midfield defensively last week at Stamford Bridge, they were, they were a bit of a shambles. And uh, and the same with United against Wolves. They were so lucky to get three points there. Um, and again, United looked desperately in need of another defensive midfielder to play alongside Casemiro. Um, I, I find it crazy that after after selling set after selling Fred, they can even be contemplating selling Scott McTominay until they get um, another body through the door. Because again, th- those two teams look completely unbalanced. Then. Newcastle last week looked the complete opposite. They looked like not only a a club that's got a very strong sort of first eleven, but they've got options from the bench that um that they've probably not had for for years. So I um I was very impressed with Newcastle last week, and I'll be interested to see how they do at the Etihad this year and uh, this weekend, and then uh, then going forward because I think there's something being built on the tight side that's quite um quite special.
Yeah, I tell you what, Athens, balmy Athens, very hot, humid Athens. Wednesday night, at least they'd push the game back till the Saturday evening. But I could, couldn't imagine it. If City are not at it, then I imagine that Pep's first complaint will be, well, hang on a minute, what about giving us the best chance? Which I have to say, I'm in complete agreement with him, really. But uh, it just seems crazy, the scheduling. But um, but there you go, which is totally dictated to. But at least they're giving it some sway, haven't they, uh, with this Saturday night um, kickoff. But I tell you what, let's move on to the transfers because obviously it's just, you know, it's really kicking into gear, isn't it? Transfers uh, ahead of the last two weeks of the window. Chelsea, again, have been the big spenders, despite making it absolutely clear earlier in the season that they weren't going to go down this path and they weren't going to be sort of kind of big spenders in the window. It would be a couple of ins and outs and it would be a bit of a reshape. But sure enough, Pochettino, new manager comes in and all, all bets are off and completely blown absolutely everyone away. Matt, what is, what is the reasoning for the fees and the, the level of those fees? Is it a Premier League thing? Is it extra pressure from the Saudi Pro League? But come on, no one in their right mind would have said a year ago that Moises Casido would be worth £115 million. I think even in January, we would have laughed. So what has changed? What, you know, what, has, what, what has changed at Chelsea? What's changed in the market? Well, Chelsea have set the bar themselves initially with some ludicrous prices last summer and January, but for players who weren't, you know, considered really worth a fraction of worth what they paid for them. And then the Saudis came in and inflated it all again. Uh, and, you know, suddenly we're in the middle of a world recession, which is supposed to bring sanity to us all. Uh, football's going absolutely crazy again. Um, yeah, uh, I don't know how it's all sustainable, certainly not Stamford Bridge. These long-term contracts, I look forward to seeing them all playing in their 30s at Stamford Bridge because no one can afford to pay their wages, however good they are. Um, yeah, although they're supposed to be coming in at slightly lower wages than some of the, the guys going out. So so there have been some savings there at Chelsea. But yeah, the whole thing has, has gone mad. You know, Declan Rice as well. There have been a few high-profile players who've come to the end of their contracts as well that have set sort of various markers. And... Um, uh, and you know, uh, and that that's kind of dictated the way that the, the market's gone, and it is the fear of dropping out and missing out on the Champions League, on the Premier League, that make people gamble money they possibly don't really have to to make sure they stay in there. And uh, yeah, <laughs> again, we've been predicting the bubble bursting for football for for such a long time. Yeah, you, you get bored saying it, but there are going to be clubs that go by the wayside, lower down the pyramid. That that are trying to keep, yeah keep up with the Joneses or whatever, and uh, in the meantime we keep seeing these headline amounts and players now struggling to to live up to that. Like it's the first time Harry Kane's been player with a prize tag, um, so you know that that that's a good that's a new dynamic for him, and you know he's just one example of of individuals now we're tuning into to say literally to decide are they worth it because there's so many question marks over individual players now. But the sort of dynamic for the neutral, instead of watching how this team's getting on, they want to kind of see how this £100 million player's doing. And it's a lot of individual pressure on players that that's through no fault of their own just because the market's gone mad. But but there's a lot of people looking for people to fail this season, which is a very negative uh, emotion. But, yeah, there's there's a number of people set up for a fall this year. 
Simon, you did, you did City's pre-season tour, didn't you? And uh, Pep Guardiola was one of the few managers really spoken up powerfully against, sort of kind of about Saudi Arabia. I was about to say against. He didn't really speak against, but he spoke about it, didn't he? About the sort of the changing environment and the prices. You know, I I I think we're underestimating the sort of the the, the power of Saudi and, and sort of kind of the. Uh, the prices and also sort of the wage hikes in that. Surely that's a massive impact. Pep's, Pep's on the money, as it were, there, isn't he? Well, he is on the money, and it was quite worrying to hear Richard Masters say that the Premier League aren't really taking the, the Pro League seriously at the moment, which, you know, that that is a kind of dereliction of duty if they're not, after seeing the summer where they've signed some of the world's best players. And there was a kind of feeling at, at first that it would be where great players kind of go to die in a way, you know, get the last payday and then, uh, what you know, walk off into the sunset. But they're now targeting established players. Um, and, you know, that's got to be a worry for the Premier League as well as every other top league in Europe. And Guardiola was asked a question about Riyad Mahrez, about whether um, he won't, you know, he was happy that Mahrez was, was leaving the club. And he, and he was honest and said, no, I wanted to keep him. But the money on, on offer was just so astounding that, you know, it was it was clear that Mares wanted to leave. And one thing Guardiola's been pretty consistent in is if a player wants to leave and, a, and, a, and an interesting club, interested club offers the right amount of money, then he won't stand in their way. And um, he, he did that with Mares, But, you know, that came with the caveat that, the Saudis are not going to go away anytime soon, and it's it, it's not um, a potential threat in the future. It's a it's a you know here and now. It's a you know clear and present danger, and Premier League clubs have to be aware of it. So that I think that has definitely changed the dynamic of uh, of this summer's transfer market, um, and it'll be interesting to see whether you know whether that continues uh, going forward. But you know, in, it's going back to Chelsea, they've not they've not kind of blinked, have they? They've just um, carried on spending, and and you wonder, mm. you know, it makes you wonder whether you know how long FFP's got if Chelsea is spending with this kind of um, magnitude, and we're, we're everybody's talking about how they're gonna how are they gonna um, how are they gonna meet FFP requirements. Well, at some point, I think FFP is gonna have to be looked at again to see off the threat of them. Um, of the Saudi League, otherwise, they they're just going to outspend everybody and and take all the uh, all the top players away. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, Chris, it's certainly I tell you what, the spending has certainly blindsided Liverpool a bit, isn't it? I mean, you know, Casido, you wonder how interested they were, you know, but obviously placed a bid, so they have to be. But Lavia was a long term target, and now they've been. They've lost two targets there, really, haven't they? I mean, where, where does this leave them? Because, you know, I was at Stamford Bridge last Sunday and everyone could see that it, it was, you know, where they were missing Liverpool. There were good good aspects to their play, but they needed someone to anchor that midfield. I mean, Jordan Henderson springs to mind, but I mean, it just, I don't know, they seem very short in that department. That's a massive concern, isn't it? Huge. And they've been embarrassed. Let's get it right. They've been absolutely embarrassed. Um they were lured into bidding for Caicedo by, from looking at it from the outside, Caicedo's people used it up straight up. They were, he wanted to go to Chelsea. He's made that clip. 
So Chelsea was sitting on it saying, we don't think he's worth this fee. So what can see those people do? See if Liverpool tell, tell them that he'd be interested to go in there, it's worthwhile putting a bid in. Um, Liverpool see a gap thinking, they think, oh, we can get this talent. We didn't think we could get him all summer because we've been told he's gone to Chelsea. Let's agree a fee. So then Chelsea are then basically bullied into beating that team because they can't then let him go. And all the while, R- Romeo Lavia is looking at this going, um, <laughs> what about me? Um, now, so he ends up then go, well, he's end up in the meantime, whenever this happened, he's changed his mind and he wants to go to Chelsea. But Liverpool, again, their initial bid, I think, was around 38 million all in for Lavia. And Southampton wanted 50 million. Two, three years ago, if Liverpool were told that players were 50, or the valuation from the selling club was 50 million and they didn't agree with that, they'd walk away. They just when we don't think he's worth that, we're not paying it. And we walk away and we get another target. But this time they tried to, to low balls at Anthem, thinking that maybe they being relegated doesn't seem to be anybody in for them. We'll keep low balling on their valuation. Now, I, I don't, 38 million does seem fair, to be fair, for a 19 year old that Man City sold last year, who did, they do have a clause next year, or they did um, have a clause next year, but. They had no interest this summer to come in from, which tells you City were happy for Lavia to go to Chelsea and Liverpool. Maybe they don't rate in that highly. Um, so you're looking at that going maybe 38 years fair, but that's not what fair is. Southampton dictated he's their player and they said 50. And Liverpool wasted time with two, three bids well below the valuation and Chelsea have swooped in. So they missed out on two targets and... Um, and now they're going, as Simon has said, to the Bundesliga, to the bottom half of the Bundesliga, to buy a 30-year-old. Um, we don't really know how good he is. I know yesterday, as soon as Liverpool are interested in him, we're inundated with stats, with how he's great at this, he's great at that, he's great at that. At the end of the day, he's a 30-year-old. They just sold a 29-year-old for being of 40 million. And the argument was, well, it's a, it's a great offer for a player who last season looked like his legs may be kind of going on. So the answer is to go and sign a 30-year-old. Now, the only way I think it's a good signing is if they're actually going to go and buy a really good defensive midfielder and they're using this guy as a backup because he can play centre-back as well. So he'd be a decent utility man, basically a younger James Milner. I'm not saying he's anywhere near as good as him, but he might be that. But if he's the only signing in defensive midfielder, I think, you'd be very concerned for Liverpool. But the whole window has been, has started well with McAllister, done swiftly. Um, and then from then on, it's just been crazy and so unlike Liverpool. Mm, yeah, that, that, I think that's the key, isn't it? It really feels very unusual for Liverpool because they normally get, you know, have their business lined up. I guess there have been changes behind the scenes and they're sort of in the, in the sort of, you know, hierarchy and then also the sort of the transfer strategy and strategists you know, so it's, uh, I don't know, I, just, I think that's probably playing into it a little bit, isn't it? Yeah, I think, yeah, the uncertainty. I mean, you, you've got to look at what, we don't really know what's going on, but Julian Ward came, took over the reins fully last summer from Michael Edwards and within six months we're here and he's going. Now, what's going on there? Um, and that kind of, not having that, I suppose, is a linear thinking throughout is, is going to affect them. You're bringing in somebody new who, okay, Jurgen Klopp knows, but he hasn't been at the club. When Michael Edwards left, it was Julian Ward was stepping up to take over. 
um, there didn't seem to be anybody on the ward who, who who was ready or willing to take over. And and people will go, oh well, this happens at other clubs. Be being overly critical of Liverpool, but let's get it right. Liverpool have been hailed hell of a lot over the last five six years for all this magical transfer, and they've done some great business with Beto, Firmino, Salah. When people thought, oh, why did he find Salah He's in Chelsea reject? Look at what player he's done some remarkable stuff, and he'd be rightly praised, but. He can criticise as well, and they deserve a lot of criticism this season. And even if Endo ends up being a good signing and he's decent, he's the third target at least that they've looked at. If not fourth, if you think of Jude Bellingham and what's gone on there. So it's been a really, really like mishap of a summer for them. And uh, I think Simon's right. If they don't sign another defensive midfielder, this is a, a plaster to kind of get them through this year so they can go again next year for whatever is the bright new flashy thing then but yeah it, it doesn't look good for them but they do have a lot of talent and attack they'd still have a solid enough defense and keeper it's just they need that proper defensive midfielder and they're very lacking in it what made it even more mystifying with Liverpool is that we saw at the end of last season that Klopp's um, idea to get the best out of Trent Alexander-Arnold was to copy what Man City have done with John Stones and um, Cancelo and people like that by pushing him further on into midfield. But to make that happen and to make that work, you've got to have a really top-class defensive midfield player who is intelligent enough to know when to fill the gap and which gap needs filling. And City have got that in in Rodri. So at the end of last season, after seeing how well Alexander-Arnold had done in that role, and he and and how well he did for England, by the way, and um, and he spoke of his excitement of of how that can be, that can, he can reinvent himself in that role. Um, I ex- I thought that that would be Liverpool's number one priority right from the start of the transfer window to get um, a defensive midfield player in who could make that move happen for Alexander Arnold, and. Um, I mean, they tried it again last week at, at, at Chelsea, and you know it was it, Liverpool were very good going forward, particularly in that first twenty minutes. But then the floor, that floor of not having that defensive midfielder who can read, like I say, when the gap needs to be filled and and how to fill it. Um, and so without that midfield player, yeah, once again you get back. You're going to get back to the argument of how you get the best out of Trent Alexander-Arnold. Thing with Trent is everybody says well his, his main weakness is defensively. So playing defensive midfielder, like that was another argument. Why don't they just play in defensive midfielder? His big weakness is defending. Um, he's a, an unbelievable world, one of the world's best going forward. Unless they work on him defensively, he can't play that six role, and he can't. And as Simon rightly says, if he's moving into midfield, if he hasn't got protection, and remember, Fabino was a right back. So he could slot into that position quite comfortably and let Trent Alexander Arnold roll. They haven't got that now. And Alexander Arnold's defensive frailties will be shown up if he plays in midfield without a proper defensive midfielder. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Interesting. Matt, do Arsenal need to do something to counteract the loss of Timber? No, I don't think so. They've got players in that position in Tierney either. I don't think. I know Newcastle and Celtic are interested, but that no longer makes sense to Arsenal anymore. Um, Timber is the future for the club. He's very much part 
of a scheme that Arteta seemed to be trialling in his late pre-season friendlies of having interchangeable fullbacks, which should be the latest buzzword tactic, where he switched them from either side with Ben White or Tommy Asu. Um, so, you know, once he's here, it's just going to be most of the season, sadly. It's a miserable way to start, you know, a new chapter of your life. But but once he's back in the Arsenal fold, you know, he's the Arteta signing for the next, you know, three or four years looking at that period. Yeah, not just this season. So to get the sort of quality of replacement, you know, he's got people who can stand in for a season, um, but you wouldn't buy someone better than Timber to, uh, to stand in his place just for a season. There, yeah, you know, he's, he looks a good signing. You know, I think Arteta's got to go with his instincts and say, yeah, when he's fit again, he'll be an asset to the team. So he was Zinchenko there as well, um, all part of the sort of mix. So I think they'll just have to muddle through. It's unfortunate. Um, but it shouldn't be the end of the world. Uh, he was kind of uh, pushing it to the next level, uh, but not a non-essential signing, but but a handy one. So so I don't I don't see them having to go into the market there. More worrying is where their goals are going to come from. Still, uh, if Jesus continues to keep picking up these knee problems, then that's their bigger concern because I think that's what's going to stop them winning the title. I tell you, the, the, the one interesting transfer one that is really sort of dragging a bit is Harry Maguire, isn't it? Is he right to stay, guys? Is he right to, you know, sort of stay and fight for his place? And under some circumstances, we'd be, we'd be lauding his kind of, you know, determination and desire to kind of win his place at Man United. But it just seems to be quite a lot of criticism, frankly, from deciding not to, to leave and take on a new challenge for West Ham. I don't know, maybe I'm reading the stories wrong, but I don't know. What do, what do people think? I think Manchester United rock. I mean, they gave him a contract and, and the West Ham deal seems to have fallen down because United wouldn't recognise the fact that when they signed him, they got completely carried away, gave him a ludicrous contract, a ludicrous valuation that, frankly, you know, he's done his best, but he struggled to live up to because he was never that good a player. You know, and that's no disrespect to him. It was just at the time when that was a big amount of money for a defender then, uh, you know, Harry Maguire wasn't that standout candidate. Uh, and if United won't pay him off his salary because he can't earn the same again, that was their mistake when they offered him that much money initially. And I do think they've done them, so, you know, they're supposed to be a club that, that values its reputation. I don't think they've done themselves any favours at all. Now, the question you then got to ask yourself is, should Harry Maguire be prepared to give up that money? To further his career, and that you know, if he sat there watching Euro twenty twenty four from a beach somewhere again, because he's not played all season, Gareth Southgate's finally said, "Well, I can't keep sticking with him." You know, if all he's been doing is uh, running up and down a touchline off the bench, so often, or not even that far, then uh, then he's going to kick himself and think, "Do you know why?" In the scheme of things, yeah, I was still going to have pretty decent pay at West Ham. I'd have played every week. It could have been me out there, hopefully lifting our first major honour for 50-odd years. So, yeah, he's going to keep himself on that. I don't think he's there fighting for his place because there's not a place to be fought for. Uh, Ten Hag has said he wants a left-footer to play on the left side of his defence. Uh, and short of reinventing himself and stitching his legs on the other way around, Maguire, there's nothing Maguire can do to convince him to play. So he's not fighting for his place. 
I think he's just stubbornly saying, well, I'm not going to go if you're not paying me my money. And I do think it is perhaps something he may end up regretting just for his international status uh, falling by the wayside because Southgate's shown he'll stick with players for about 12 months. But then if they're not playing, then they, they do tend to drop by the wayside. September the 1st, Matt, is, is, is Harry Maguire a Man United player? Do you think there's still scope? Because I tell you what, I'm, I'm in total... You know, I'm in total agreement with the Maguire stance. That basically, if you give a player a contract, why on earth wouldn't you, wouldn't you honour it? I just find it staggering that basically, you know, that sort of kind of you know, the fans seem to think it's fine for clubs to pay out and sort of offer and give deals and give bonuses and give loyalty things, which players earn, and they're sort of then then they're you know sort of dismissed as being disloyal when they when they when they don't want to wrap them up. It's absolutely ludicrous, but. But September the 1st is Harry Maguire, a, um, you wouldn't get it in any in under, under in industry. Sorry, I'm on a rant here. But, um, um, but um, I, um, you know, September the 1st is Harry Maguire still a Man United. I still don't think the way, until West Ham sign a reasonable replacement to play in that position, they know that they need Maguire. Man United want rid of him and Maguire wants to play. Um, there's got to be a meeting point in there somewhere. Um, I, I get like I said, I'll reiterate, yeah, United are wrong. There's no question about that. But ultimately, it's all about money, pride, uh, and uh, and the prospect of sitting on the bench for for 12 months. And that that tends to focus the mind those transfer deadlines. So I, I wouldn't be. I've still not written off the West Ham move until they really, really. I mean, because that's a negotiated stance from them saying that elsewhere. Uh, they know he's the best candidate. If you're Harry Maguire and you've seen how Manchester United have operated uh, in terms of the purse strings over the last five, six, seven years, then of course you're going to sit tight. And, uh, and uh, you know, of course there, there is a deal still to be done somewhere down the line. And he knows that. Why on earth would he would he kind of blink first when United have made a bit of it over the last, you know, God knows how many years. Um, United need... United need him off the wage bill to bring in the the players that Ten Hag needs and the the, the game against Wolves uh, and again I emphasise it was only the opening game of the season but it did kind of strengthen Ten Hag's position that he still needs more players in the door before he can make Manchester United genuine contenders for anything so I, I think Harry Maguire is absolutely right to do what he's doing Yeah, I agree. I agree, really. Um, Man City, Newcastle. Let's look at the weekend's fixtures. Man City, Newcastle seems to have a, a ring about it, whether that's a sort of a, uh, you know, an early showdown, as we touched on before, as two potential uh, title um, title contenders, really. Where do, we, where do we see that? Chris, what do you what do you think is the outcome of this game? Yeah, it's it's probably the first, like, it's a massive popped up this game, isn't it? Um as Simon said earlier, the Newcastle looked terrific last weekend. This is the, the, the big litmus test having to go to the champions, the treble winners, and 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 put in a performance and make a real statement. Um, and then City coming off the back of a, a, a draining game in midweek, they'd be thankful that it was straight to penalties um, and not a, an extra 30 minutes. Um, 
that that would kind of help them, I suppose, in in that sense. Um, I expect City to win, but you would do, wouldn't you? They at home, they're the champions. Um, but going to be interesting. It's this is the probably the best time to play them if you're going away there, just because they're still getting going. Um, I know they looked very good against um, Burnley last weekend. Maybe not they at the best last night against Sevilla. So this is probably the best time for Newcastle to go there and get a result. Um, and that would that would send a, a statement. And I think if they could go there and win at Man City, then people would go, wow, right, these are going to be in the mix this year. Um, if they go there and look a bit off it, a bit behind City, then people will say, okay, maybe top four. So again, early season judgments will go one way or the other, won't they? It's always the way. Um, Man United went there and got tanked last year and, and everybody says, well, they're going to be struggling to finish in the top six this season and they end up getting in the top four. So it won't be defining, but I think it would send a massive statement if Newcastle go there and could beat the champions in their own backyard in their first home game in their defence. Matt, I think you're a Tottenham man you, aren't you? Yeah, I imagine there'll be goals. Um, don't know which end they're going to go in. They go forward enough, don't they? Uh, it's just it's like they've, they've remembered how to attack again after the, the last sort of three managers. Um, so yeah, uh, yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll bungle them in somewhere. I don't think United's effects will necessarily keep them out, and I think they'll let them in at the other end. Um, it's a weird season for Spurs. This is, you know, I think they they're going to try and get by without replacing Kane. They're going to hope that the the collective spirit um, sort of rebuilds something in further deeper in the team. Has been missing for a couple of years, but this is very much a transitional year, I think, for them. And I think the chance of finishing top four, short of Levy putting a master stroke in on deadline day um, and bringing in probably two or three players that they need, uh, then I think it's more a case of trying to go, yeah, we, we've gone back to 2014 when Pochettino first came in. And, uh, you know, Postacoglu's back there trying to build a shape to a team a way of playing that keeps the fans happy, which is what Pochettino did initially. And then he needs to find the players. I mean, Pochettino had Kane coming through. I don't know if there's a similar sort of player in the, the Spurs, right? So they can't keep putting them out of the hat. Uh, they might have to do it a different way. But uh, but it's, it's a long, hard slog. And, and I think Spurs fans are just going to have to be patient because they haven't got that man carrying them through the season. But they have to. No, no, it'll be interesting. Finally, this West Ham Chelsea, Simon. Do you do you think Chelsea are genuine contenders? Uh, I think it it depends on how quickly Pochettino is able to bed in his two new central midfielders. Um, one thing I was very impressed with last week against Liverpool was how he seems to have already unlocked Enzo, Enzo Fernandez, who looked a completely different player than the one uh, that arrived from Benfica for so much money last January. And um, he looked more like the player that um, he looked a lot more like the player that that won the World Cup for Argentina, and was one of the players of the tournament. Um, so that was that was a really kind of positive positive feature for for Chelsea. But um, yeah, it's quite a, it's quite a it's one of those a game at West Ham, isn't it? Um, it's a it's a litmus test. It's not a place where teams enjoy playing, which is you know all credit to to David Moyes. They can make it very difficult for the top teams, West Ham. And um, but yeah, I think Chelsea have to be title contenders simply because of the amount of money that they that they've spent. 
you know, whether whether that means actually it, it, it lasting right until the end of the season, I don't think that is a realistic prospect. But I think uh, there will be an expectation at Stamford Bridge, given the quality of the squad that they've got. Um, and I know losing in Kunku, for example, is a big blow because he was a guy that, that they were hoping would score you know, the necessary goals. Um, so that might be a, a problem for them. Uh, create a few chances against Liverpool that they couldn't take. Uh, but going back to your original question, I think they certainly have to be challenging for the top four. Otherwise, it, it'll have been a, a disappointing season for them. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a really interesting one, Chelsea. It's one of those where I don't think you can predict with any certain, great certainty what's going to happen. No, no, be interested, be interested. And I've got to say, obviously, all eyes on Sydney on Sunday, really, isn't it? But um, for England v Spain, and um, we wish them all the luck in the world with Linus. As I mentioned, you know, we've got a um, separate podcast for that as well, so please tune in. My daughter lives on the same street as Ella Toon, and she's quite um, she's quite excited about perhaps sharing the same neighbourhood as a, as a World Cup winner, so... Um, that would, you know, it really has kind of gripped the country, hasn't it? What they've achieved in uh, Australia so far. It really has. And I think that's the biggest dilemma, isn't it? Whether, whether basically your, your daughter lives next door to a um, uh, a World Cup winning starter or, or, or kind of, you know, Ella Toon or Lauren Jones, basically. So I think that's a big selection dilemma, isn't it? Based on yesterday, based on the, the semi-final, you'd have to say, surely... She she sticks with the tried and trusted Ella Toon, but I mean Serena Beekman has been so good and so successful at getting the tactics, the changes, and everything you know formation wise spot on throughout her reign. Who are we to argue or question? But I mean, wow, that that's a, that's a dilemma. Aldi took a tough decision before the nineteen sixty six World Cup final with Jimmy Greaves and was rewarded for being brave. So um, let's see what happens um, in Australia. Yeah, I was, I was, funnily enough, I was sort of kind of ran into a sort of a former, former, former England player who, who was sort of saying, oh, England, and so I said, what do you think that, um, the small end, what, what do you think who's going to win? And she, she was sort of saying, oh, I think it's England, England are favourites, England's to lose. But then basically did make the point that maybe start with her at and then basically Lauren James can make a difference from the bench, you know, when, when the spaces open up and when the, uh, when the game opens up a little bit. So, what a day. What a fantastic achievement it will be, won't it, if we can get that over the line. It's, it, it was, it's been fabulous to watch it, really. So wish them absolutely every success. And guys, so nice to see you again. So um, thanks for tuning in, everyone. Thanks for being part of it. We'll see you same time, same place next week. Bye.